Hi, and welcome to Greetings from Brussels, episode 17 of our Global Tech Swap podcast. I'm your host, Morgan Taylor, and I'm joined by our EU team. Hi, Anna. Hello. And hi, Niels. Hey, everyone. So the inaugural meeting of the Trade and Technology Council is just behind us, and the US and the EU have been busy on transatlantic tech coordination, specifically um, around issues around data privacy. And after several tumultuous years between the US and the EU, there's much to discuss when it comes to the dynamic between them and the impact on the app economy. This month, we're being joined by our Privacy Fellowship Coordinator, Matt Truss, for a conversation around what happened at the TTC in Pittsburgh, the US-EU data privacy relationship, and what it means for innovators in the app economy. But before we get to that, a bit of tech history and the top tech headlines in Europe. October 1971, 50 years ago this month, the trademark part of smiley face we all know and love was born. And well, there have been several popular images featuring a smiley face that can be found as far back as the 1950s. The term smiley and its likeness were not trademarked until the 1970s. Franklin Loufrani, a journalist uh, who is working for the newspaper François, or was working for the newspaper François, François at the time, trademarked the term smiley as well, his design, with a trademark office in France, and since then the design took off. It wasn't long after that when Franklin and his son Nicolas started the smiley company and began to license their design to major companies, including Levi Strauss and Samsung. This is when the smiley and technology happened to take, really take off, and the same smiley that Franklin trademarked in the 70s became the trademark face behind the emojis we still use today. Fun fact, one of the first ever on-screen appearances of the smiling emoji was in 1982, one of the Andrew Mellon's university online bulletin boards, or B-boards, and that's where the very same university where the EU and the US leaders met for the Trade and Technology Council, but more on that later. And that's all for Tech History for this month. And now it's time for Brussels Bites. Anna and Niels, what are the latest top headlines uh, from inside the Brussels bubble? During yet another turbulent week for social media platform Facebook, the Wall Street Journal released a whistleblower report on the internal workings of the company. In the same week, founder Mark Zuckerberg apologized after Facebook, Instagram, and WhatsApp, all owned by Facebook, were unavailable for almost six hours, impacting more than 3.5 billion users worldwide. The day after the outage, Frances Haugen, the former Facebook employee who came forward as the whistleblower, testified before the U.S. Congress and revealed that Facebook consistently chooses to maximize its growth rather than implement safeguards on its platforms. She also alleged Facebook hid internal research that illuminated the harms of its products. Ms. Haugen is already scheduled to testify in the U.K. Parliament later this month and was invited to speak at the European Parliament on November 8th. Reuters reported that the Dutch Authority for Consumers and Markets, the ACM, found Apple's rules that require software developers to use its in-app payment system are anti-competitive, according to four people familiar with the matter. Thus far, the ACM declined to comment, as the matter is still under legal review. According to the reports, the ACM has not levied a fine against Apple, but will demand changes to its in-app payment system. The exact impacts of this development on app developers 
who use Apple services will depend on the specific contents and demands of the ACM ruling. While there is no official timeline for the investigation, the ACM has previously said it expects to publish its decision later this year. We will sure be sure to keep you posted on any movement around this ruling in the future episodes of TechSwamp. Negotiators from 136 countries came together last week to discuss the final details of a years-long push for an, uh, for an agreement to overhaul the global tax system. The ongoing talks at the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development are an effort to make international companies pay an extra $100 billion in corporate taxes and shift more of their tax bills to countries where they conduct their business. Now that all participating jurisdictions have agreed on the deal's updated text, it will need to be finalized by the G20 finance ministers at a meeting this week in Washington. The G20 leaders are expected to give their final approval at their October summit in Rome. And that's all for Brussels Bites. For today's policy discussion, we've been joined by U.S. Privacy Fellowship Coordinator, Matt Schwartz. Hey, Matt, thank you so much for joining us. Of course, thanks for having me. Okay, so Matt, you've been following legislation around privacy and data transfers for years now, so you can talk about the landscape. Are these exceptional times that we're living at the moment? I don't know if I would say exceptional, but there's definitely a lot happening right now. Um, you know, we mentioned that at the top of the broadcast, but I think most of our listeners will have heard about uh, the EU officials coming to Pittsburgh for uh, the TTC. You know, I think that shows at least some commitment uh, from the two blocks that come together, um, although I would say there's probably a lot to repair. Um, you know, what we're looking at on the U.S. side specifically, too, is the Privacy Shield Agreement that was, you know, recently struck down by the Court Justice of the EU. Um, but, you know, it hasn't been easy to bridge these divides. And I think, you know, at, at least at the TTC, the folks made it pretty clear that Privacy Shield wasn't even going to be kind of substantively discussed at the event. So, you know, on Privacy Shield, I do think there's been a little bit of, of confusion and maybe a little bit of tension about the way that uh, the negotiations have, have been reported to the press specifically over the last couple of months. Um, you know, like a, f a few weeks ago, you had press reports in the U.S. Uh, stating that an agreement was imminent, um, which didn't really match up with, with, with what had been shared publicly to that point, and I think probably added a little unnecessary drama uh, that didn't need to be there and kind of as a result both sides had to do a bit of damage control to kind of regain uh, the narrative so you know I think it's fair to say that the excitement period uh, the honeymoon period between the EU and, and, and President Joe Biden is pretty much over and we're kind of back more back to a, a realistic flow of, of give and takes between the two sides. Yeah, I think um, you're spot on here, Matt. Transatlantic relations have not been easy, and they also still remain complex, um, especially as this kind of give and take returns. Um, just like moving aside tech policy, right, there's been plenty of disagreement recently on other complicated topics like the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan, the recent spat with the French over nuclear-powered submarines, the ongoing COVID travel restrictions, and steel tariffs. So so I think Europeans still are, are skeptical of the U.S.'s 
big return to the global stage, right? Like Joe Biden keeps saying America is back, but that remains to be seen, I think, for some Europeans. And especially in the EU and like the Brussels policy bubble, the, the, bu- the big buzzword or buzzwords are strategic autonomy. And that has been a huge talking point in the EU. Um, at the same time, they are both major Western economic powers. So I think there's a lot that the EU and Biden administration can still seem to agree on. Um, and some of those aspects are countering online hate speech and disinformation, regulating emerging technologies like AI, and some of the aspects of um, potentially regulating online platforms. Um, so in that respect, I agree that the inaugural meeting of the of the Trade and Technology Council is a very positive development, and it's a signal that they want to work together on a lot of topics. Um, and there was a really broad range of topics discussed at the meeting. I think they had they had ten different working groups, including standards, um, green tech, supply chains, data governance, um, cybersecurity, and export controls, investment screening, SME support, all kinds of things that go. Um, across all sectors of the digital economy. And so, yeah, while we had hoped that the TTC would would be a platform to discuss a new privacy shield agreement, they did not. But it seems that good progress was made on some of these other items. So that's interesting. So we've talked about the the privacy shield previously. um, But maybe for a quick refresher, Matt, since you also mentioned the privacy shield agreement, can you explain a bit more about what is this and especially why it's important uh, for our members? Yeah, the Privacy Shield was very important for our members. Um, what it was was essentially a, a data sharing agreement between the EU and the US um, that allowed them to share data without kind of the more complex uh, contractual frameworks that are also an option. Um, and kind of as a result of that simplicity, uh, there's 5,300 companies that had signed up for, for the Privacy Shield. Um, and crucially, the vast majority of those were small companies um, like our members. So uh, like I mentioned, in July 2020, uh, the Court of Justice of the European Union issued its infamous decision uh, in the Shrimps 2 court case, which basically struck down Privacy Shield on the basis of insufficient uh, legal recourse in the United States to challenge decisions um, regarding collection and surveillance of personal information that we conduct on on, on the U.S. side for, for national security reasons. Um, you know, this kind of, the, the ruling kind of left companies scrambling for a way to find a way to continue the transfers. Um, basically overnight uh, the, the the switch was turned off so you know i mentioned that there are a few other frameworks in place that companies can use but the problem with those is that they're very complicated and they don't usually have small businesses in mind uh, when they're created they're more geared towards uh, businesses that have very sophisticated legal departments and compliance departments that can put them into place in and and monitor them over time as opposed to our members who have maybe one lawyer at best or they're contracting a lawyer and it's very expensive for them. So, you know, the most well-known of these alternative solutions are, are the standard contractual clauses or SECs, um, which, you know, di- did just get updated in the EU to comply with the Shrimps ruling because the Shrimps ruling didn't just talk about Privacy Shield, it talked about all sorts of uh, international data transfers. So that had to get updated and you know kind of 
without making it too technical, companies now need to apply with a whole uh, comply with a, a whole lot more than they did previously uh, when Privacy Shield kind of made it easier. So that's why we've been advocating so hard for for a new comprehensive agreement um, that could replace Privacy Shield for us. Right, especially because another dynamic that makes this even more complicated is, um, of course, Brexit, which has made everything more complicated. Um, <laughs> so because the United Kingdom left the EU, the the UK government is now also establishing their own rules around standard contractual clauses. Um, and for now, businesses can continue to use the old British or EU-wide standard contractual clauses that the EU Commission has approved, but very soon new rules will apply. So if you want to transfer personal data from the UK to third countries, you're going to have to follow those rules. Um, And so all of this makes data sharing in the EU, US, UK triangle very difficult, especially for small businesses. Um, And all those businesses are digital by nature, so data sharing is what they do. Yeah, but so... I mean, are regulators making any headway on solving this issue? Because you already mentioned previously the rumors that a transatlantic data deal is close, but here in Brussels, on the contrary, they seem to disagree. So what's your take on this? Yeah, I think one say that, that we can say for sure is that it was not part of the official statements after the TTC meeting. Um, and the fact that Brussels doesn't see a deal emerging from the TTC is not really that surprising um, because they know that for a solid agreement that will withstand the scrutiny of the Court of Justice of the European Union, they need to get this right, and that takes time. Um, and even ahead of the meeting, um, the the Commission Executive Vice President, Margaret Vestager, she downplayed the Pittsburgh meeting, saying that she expects the next um, summits to be much more in-depth on substance and more detailed. So it seems like Brussels had low expectations going in. Um, but also another angle that I think Matt can speak to is definitely the the legal landscape in the U.S., because that was one of the main reasons that Privacy Shield was struck down. Yeah, totally. And just to address like the rumors or whatever, um, you know, it's kind of unclear where those came from. Uh, I don't really think that they were leaked from the U.S. side. I think maybe some reporters got some bad intel. So I wouldn't say that the two sides are kind of operating from completely different playbooks where they think that they're at completely different stages of the negotiations. So maybe that's that's a silver lining. But yeah, I do agree that... um, you know, a privacy shield agreement probably is not imminent, if we're calling imminent within the next few weeks or so, kind of just based off of everything that we've heard from uh, both sides so far, uh, including at an, actually an industry roundtable meeting that uh, Anna and I attended recently at the U.S. Department of Commerce. Um, you know, we can say that there's certainly a strong shared desire from the Biden administration and, and the, the commission to put a deal into place, right? Um, you know, they recognize that there is definitely a vacuum, especially for, for small businesses and a lot of concern about the future of those those transfers. Um, but there's a lot of details that need to be hashed out first. And it seems like, you know, realistically speaking, we're probably at the middle of these negotiations rather than the end. Um, you know, and yeah, on the kind of teed this up. So we can't really forget that a big part of this is that the U.S. needs to make some sort of concrete policy action to actually address the concerns of the court. 
uh, that we're raising in Shrimps too, either through a bill in Congress that rethinks our approach to uh, surveillance law and was what is collected in, in avenues of recourse for folks whose data is collected uh, abroad or through executive action, which is probably the more realistic solution given uh, Congress's inability to pass much of anything, it seems like. Um, so yeah, there's definitely still a ways to go. Um, you know, maybe the positive of all this, though, is that it seems to be getting a lot of attention from the administration. So I do think that we will reach a solution eventually, maybe just not within the next couple of weeks, like a lot of people are hoping. Um, I hope we do. So, well, issues related to international data transfers are absolutely crucial for our members and they impact our members in the app economy, not just in the EU and the US, but also on a global scale as well. So this is definitely something we'll be keeping an, a close eye on. And Matt, uh, thank you so much for joining us. And we're really happy to welcome you back on the podcast for our next data privacy update. Anytime. Thanks, guys. And now it's time for our random identifiers. Anna, you're, you're up first. Okay, yeah, I'm sure at this point everyone has heard about this, but Adele is releasing a new song this Yay. week called Easy On Me. It's been six very long years since she last released music. So I'm very excited for this, obviously. Um, there have been... Um, billboard spotted all around the world with the number 30 on it, which is, as she released today, the title of her new album that um, comes out on November 19th, which is very soon. So I'm super pumped. And it's also probably all going to be sad and emotional music and typical Adele fashion, but I'm ready to listen and experience her feelings. <laughs> so I'm, yeah, like I said, very excited. And new music is always um, a good thing to bring up as a random identifier. Yeah, definitely, for sure. Oh, even if it's sad uh, uh, and slow music, we're all excited about it. I can't believe it's been six years. It's yeah, huge. Since I think she was, last one was 25, but oh, it wow. took her a long time to make this new one, so... It's going to okay. be great. <laughs> Definitely. So, Niels, um, what's your random identifier? Yeah, so since we're talking about smilings and laughing emojis and all of that, this is a headline that really made me laugh. Um, in Turkey, uh, a missing quote-unquote uh, man joins search party to look for himself. <laughs> I so saw that. It's, yes. it's basically a guy who was wandering away from his friends in a forest um, and he might have been a little bit intoxicated and then later sort of looped around and joined the same group of people that were helping the authorities search for him because in the meantime they had reported him officially missing. So I find that an intriguing story. But, but did he realize that he was looking for himself? I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> Wow. Oh, wow. Well, don't get too drunk. <laughs> so maybe... But, yeah, go ahead. No, at some point they did realize because um, so <laughs> members of the search party sort of began calling out his name and he started replying at some point. So like, I'm here. I'm right here. And then they realized that he'd been am among the group all along. <laughs> That's completely random. 
Oh, thank you, Niels, for this uh, great random random file. <laughs> so, uh, Matt, since you joined us for the policy discussion, do you have a random identifier? Yeah, and I'm going to continue the trend of really upbeat things with sad music and missing people with a um, <laughs> recommendation for a 750-page book about climate change. If anyone wants to dig in to that with me, it's called Ministry for the Future by uh, Kim Stanley Robinson. I'm only like 50 or 60 pages in so far, so I got a ways to go. So I can't say that I give it a wholehearted recommendation yet, but it does seem like a really kind of fact-based non-fiction or fact-based fiction story that kind of is looking forward uh, to what is going to get us out of the climate crisis. So looking forward to digging into that a little bit more and uh, welcome any uh, TechSwamp listeners to join me as well. We can have a little book club about it. For sure. We'll post that in the show notes. And it's actually perfect because it's the COP COP uh, 26 uh, soon. So uh, it's perfect reading to get up to speed. Yeah, Matt, any any great inventions that we should start thinking about slash take stock options on? Um, I don't, <laughs> not yet. And I don't think it's going to be the type of book that is going to be talking about like how blockchain is going to save us or anything like that. seems like seems like uh, the key change is going to be this institution, which is the title of the book, The Ministry for the Future, which is a body within the UN that kind of, um, I guess, is going to find a way to, to muddle us through and find a policy solution. So I'd like to keep it a policy focus here on TechSwap. Stay on brand. <laughs> Sounds like some great science fiction reading. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, science, science fiction <laughs> of our current reality. <laughs> Well, I'll give my own random identifier. So, me, it's about we we had an app maker store today um, in in Spain. So we organized this app maker store to to talk about with our um, online platform regulation of our members. And today we hosted one in Spain, and I just want to highlight uh, our great member Fernando Guerrero, who is a CEO and founder of New Intelligence. Um, artificial intelligence uh, startup and it was just a wonderful discussion so we talked about really the impact of regulation on on on, on online um, uh, regulation on SMEs uh, we talked about it with the Ministry of Economic Affairs in, in Spain and also the Competition Authority in Spain so I just wanted to highlight that and that we have our next app makers tour uh, in Poland on the 16th of November so um, so yeah I just uh, if you, do, you haven't watched that yet uh, there will be the video soon on the website. Yeah, and Fernando did absolutely great. He sort of boiled it down to to the issues that are important for the audience. And you saw the other two speakers responding to that as well. I mean, the policymakers that have to make the rules at some point are, are in a conversation with someone that knows the nitty gritty of uh, day-to-day business. Yeah, no, it was absolutely great uh, to have a real-life experience. So... Um yeah, big shout out to Fernando. Well, we've reached the end of Greetings from Brussels, episode 17 of our global TechSwan podcast. And if you're interested in learning more, head over to our website at actonline.org slash where you'll find all our show notes. And we also have transcripts available. And you can find them at the top of our show notes as well as on podscribe.com. Just search for TechSwan. 
You can subscribe to Tech Swamp on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Stitcher to get your latest episodes first. And don't forget to read and review. Wow, that's all for now. Thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.